0: Plus. Welcome to the Finding Dad Bod, where my dad, Coach Alex Van Houten, puts his 14 years of experience to work for you. You should listen to him. He's pretty beast mode. Who knows who we could be if we could become 1% better every single day? What's up guys? This is Alex Van Houten with Defining Dad Bod. I hope you're doing super well. You're listening to season three, episode forty-one of Defining Dad Bod, where we're talking about beating your stress. This episode's been brought to you by the Better Daily app. Join us for the upcoming Faithful40 community challenge, where for 40 days we'll be improving ourselves through mindset, nutrition, and exercise in our community setting. Register for the challenge at definingdadbod.com/slash faithful forty. If you're a member of the Better Daily community, you already know what's up, and you're very excited about what's coming. But if you're not, and you want to join us, find out more at definingdadbod.com slash faithful40. That's definingdadbod.com slash faithful 40 Now, I'm really excited about this episode today because we're following up on the content of last week, where we learned that in addition to the many adaptations of healthy exercise, our brain's structure and function can also be positively affected. By our exercise practice today, we'll talk about how, at a neurological level, our exercise practice actually makes us more resilient both figuratively and literally in the face of stress. Before we get there, here's some food for thought. My food for thought for you today comes from a session I had with a client recently. We were working on our deadlift, and sneaky trainer that I am, I added some weight without her noticing as she was getting some water. She came to the bar, and then I coached her just like I did the set before. All right, strong stance, hip width apart. Head and chest up strong, lock those shoulder blades behind you, flex those lats, pull the slack out of the bar, here we go. She lifted the weight powerfully, with good form. She controlled the movement on the way down, and started on the second repetition. She got through a couple more, and then I called an end to the set, and she looked at me and said, holy crap, that feels way heavier this time. And I couldn't hold back laughing, as I smiled and told her that it was much heavier than her previous set, and told her how much she had lifted. If she was annoyed that I tricked her, it didn't even matter at the moment because she was astonished that she could lift that much. No pain in her back, nothing but strength in her legs, and that very strange feeling when you realize that you're capable of more than you used to think. She crossed a threshold in that 30-second set, and she'll never see herself in the same light again. My food for thought for you today is this. When was the last time that you crossed a threshold, where you did something that you didn't know you were capable of? You surprised yourself, and because of the surprise, you'll never see yourself in that old way again. If it's been a while, can I encourage you to seek that out? No matter what you have done in your life thus far, if you're not dead, you're not done, and I promise you'd be surprised what you're capable of. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Shoot me a message at CoachAl at DefiningDadBod.com. That's your food for thought today. I hope it gives you something to munch on. Now, without further ado, let's talk about the science of using exercise to beat your stress. Imagine you've slept through your alarm. Ugh, not again. You throw on your clothes, you make a mad dash through the kitchen to grab some caffeine and the keys, and you hop in the car, only to find that there's an accident on the highway on your way into town. Then after you get off the highway, you hit every single light. One minute at a light never seems so long as when you're late. And not only are you late, but you've got 50 emails in your inbox You also have a presentation this morning, and your in-laws are coming in tonight for the weekend. Now, that's the stereotypical stressful situation for somebody on their way to work, but a similar scenario could be painted if you're staying at home with the kids, or if you're a student studying for an exam, or even if you're retired, and you have a number of things planned today that just aren't going your way. Whatever the situation is, there are some days where there just will be no rest for the weary today. Problems are raining cats and dogs, or as they like to say, trouble comes in threes. If you're listening to the sound of my voice, you've been there before. You might even be there now. It's the feeling of being stressed out. Whether it's mixing family, work, exams, traffic, travel, stress is inevitable. But my question to you is, is stress really such a bad thing? What if I told you that your body has a built-in mechanism to not only handle a day like that, but perhaps even to thrive within the hustle and bustle? For our episode today, I'm not going to talk to you about managing your stress better, or even talk to you about how to reduce it. Today we're going to talk about becoming so physically resilient in our body and brain that the things that normally stress us out will stop sucking our energy away and depleting us completely. In fact, after this episode, it's my hope for you that you are able to live each day thoughtfully and deliberately on purpose, so to speak, so that your intentionality isn't overridden by your stressed outness. Would you like that for yourself too? Well then let's talk about how exercise changes the way the brain handles stress. Get excited. First, let's get a working definition of stress. There are a number of ways that you could define it, but we're going to define it at a cellular level. At a cellular level, stress is literally anything that demands energy output from your cells. That is, stress is literally anything that uses ATP, adenosine triphosphate, in order to create some sort of energy, and therefore create ADP adenosine diphosphate. When something requires that of your cells, that means movement was involved, that means oxidative free radicals were created, and it means the cellular organelles, mitochondria, are going to have to work hard to replenish your ATP stores. Okay, so what do I do that requires ATP? Well, everything. Listening to me talk, unless you're spacing out. Lifting your finger. Eating a cookie driving to work, running on the treadmill, doing a Turkish getup. They all require your body to cash in on the ATP produced in the cell. But wait a minute, Alex, it sounds like you're saying everything is stressful. Yep. At a cellular level, life is stressful. Everything you do and everything you think demands energy from your cells. Now think about that for a second. That's right. Life is stressful. In fact, in psychological studies, where they're interested in how stress affects the body, getting married and buying a house, which are presumably great things to happen in your life, where losing a family member or getting into a car wreck, which are decidedly negative things to happen in your life, are of similar levels of stress. So every time your mind's racing, every time you pick up your coffee cup, every word you take to heart from the day's news, or even the words from my mouth, triggers some sort of stress at a cellular level. As far as your body's concerned, stress... Stress is stress is stress. So if life's stressful at a cellular level, what makes stress good or bad? Well, for the purposes of our show today, bad stress is of such high demand with no recovery, that it leaves your body in a worse state that it can't adapt from. Whereas good stress, if stress is stress is stress, then it's important to talk about what makes stress good or what makes stress bad. Because living isn't always bad, and it certainly isn't always good either. What makes stress good or bad is the degree of demand at one time, and then the amount of recovery thereafter. Too little stress and your cells become weak. Too much stress, or lack of adequate recovery, wears out cells by shrinking their capacity to function and hastening their death. That's bad. On the other hand, just enough stress with the time to recover coaxes his cells to become more powerful, more efficient, and more numerous. If we could strike a balance by stressing our bodies just the right amount, and not only allowing them to recover, but enhancing their ability to do so, stress would make us more resilient, even down to our individual cells. So what controls the intensity of stress, or your ability to recover from it? Well, what organ controls just about everything about you? You got it. Your brain. Your brain has two very important structures that interpret and remember stressful events. Your amygdala is responsible for assigning emotional valence or importance to a situation and your hippocampus is responsible for creating a memory of it if it's significant enough. A stressful or exciting situation can cause the amygdala to send a signal to our adrenal glands within milliseconds to release stress hormones to prepare the body for fight or flight. Our hippocampus then creates a memory of the event to advise the body how to act next time. The more activated the amygdala that is, the more emotionally valent something is, the longer and more intense the stress response, and the more conditioned your hippocampus is to stressful events, the faster you'll recover since your brain remembers the last time you faced this thing. It didn't kill you, after all. You lived and learned. Take, for example, public speaking. It's the second most major fear of people next to dying. As a public speaker myself, I've spent a lot of time coaching people to help them overcome public speaking issues. For their first public speaking event, they're extremely nervous, almost to the point of crazy anxiety, shaking inside, sweating... It's crazy intense. Their amygdala is extremely activated in telling their body, hey, this is dangerous, hey, this is scary, hey, this is fearful. Your entire social reputation is on the line. But then they pony up, they walk into the event, and they speak out loud. And as they're speaking, the amygdala starts to quiet down and starts to realize this is not a life-and-death situation. The crowd's chuckling at their jokes, everybody seems to be very receptive to their message, and it's not nearly as scary as they thought it was going to be. So now that the amygdala has calmed down and they've finished their public speaking event, the hippocampus remembers, hey, that wasn't life or death. That was pretty fine, actually. And since everything went smoothly, it files away a positive memory of the situation. So next time public speaking comes up, it's not nearly as scary. They might still get a little fearful or anxious. But every single time they do it, they approach things a little less anxious and walk away a little more excited about it. This is a perfect example of how the amygdala works to create a stressful negative emotional valence while well, the hippocampus works to remember whether or not that was worth all of the stress to begin with. If everything goes well and everything goes smoothly, then eventually you're able to publicly speak without your amygdala wigging out because your hippocampus has gathered enough memories of times where this worked out just fine for you. And the same could be said about just about anything you try for the first time. Think about it. Doing something then is always stressful, but if it goes well, the more you do it, the more you see it's not so bad after all. And each time is less and less stressful. However, if it doesn't go so well, the subsequent times are even more stressful, and it's a terrible negative anxiety loop. And this is not just a conscious process. This is literally built into the mechanism of your brain, in the interplay of the amygdala and the hippocampus. It's to ensure that your body gets the stress response just right. Since stress requires resources from the body, It's important that you rise to the occasion, but you don't overuse the resources necessary. Pretty cool system, huh? But wait, what does exercise have to do with public speaking, the amygdala, and the hippocampus? This is when I get really excited, because the trick of exercise is this. While you're doing burpees, jumping rope, doing Olympic lifts, cardio, whatever, you're creating a controlled stress response that lets the body and the brain, through the hippocampus, remember the stressful event. However, since it's controlled and intentional, there's little or no emotional valence. That is, the amygdala doesn't flip out. In other words, you get the buffering effect of the intensity without the emotional response. When you exercise, you're literally making it easier for your body to withstand sleeping through your alarm, or rolling with the screaming two-year-old, or tackling a stressful email from your boss, relaxing into the stares of the crowd during a public speaking engagement, handling sitting in traffic, or managing whatever else you're going to encounter today. And since exercise doesn't last all day, unlike the stress of thinking about your presentation tomorrow, for instance, you give your body a chance to recover. In fact, that's one of the hallmarks of a properly periodized program. When I talk about, quote, scientific exercise programming, what I'm really talking about is how a properly customized exercise program offers literally all of the good stress without the bad, and allowing time to recover from the good stress so that you adapt and become stronger as a result. And here, we thought exercise was all about burning calories. If you go to the gym today and do a great weight training program and maybe even catch some cardio afterward, but then you also set up the necessary conditions to get some great sleep tonight, to put some good fuel in your body so that your body can use that fuel in order to recover tissues, and you don't overdo it in the next three days while you're in a state of recovery, then the stress that you put your body through during your exercise will actually help you to be more resilient to the stress everywhere else. I'm training a guy right now who, when he started working with me four weeks ago, said, Alex, I don't know if working with you is right for me. I've got three kids under the age of four. I already feel like I don't have much energy at all. And by the end of the day, I'm happy to have just gotten through what I needed to get through, much less try to do a workout program that you might recommend to me. And I remember listening with sympathy because if you only understand exercise to be a calorie burning thing, that if you have enough time to do, then it would be great to add to your schedule. Then I can totally get where he's coming from. But if you understand that adding exercise to your schedule will actually help you with the stressors and increase your energy while making you resilient to the things that are on your plate. Then you'll see exercise in a whole other light. How can you deal with three children under the age of four, a very demanding job, and low energy levels without exercising? As counterintuitive as it sounds, we're four weeks into his 16-week program, and he reports having amazing energy levels, sleeping better, and even feeling better about how he's interacting with his kids. If you're listening, brother, you know who you are. High five to your hard work, because I know it was a leap of faith at first. But the benefits of exercise with regard to stress don't stop with the amygdala and the hippocampus. In addition to conditioning those things, exercise also buffers the mind against unnecessary fight-or-flight responses. One of the ways that Dr. John Rady described it in his book Spark is that exercise increases the setting of the thermostat of your mind before the fight or flight response happens. Think of the fight or flight response as an on or off, just like your thermostat at home. We live in Arkansas now, and these summers are crazy hot here. Not quite as hot as Texas, but we still get above 100 regularly with 100% humidity. So imagine it's 100 degrees outside, and our thermostat is set to 60. That's where I'd love our thermostat to be set at, but I'd freeze my wife out, and that's not very good for a happy marriage. If our thermostat was set at 60, then the air conditioning would be on all day long. Every time the household temperature hit 60, it would kick on and try to cool the house down. And I might be happy with the temperature at that level, but I wouldn't be happy with the electric bill. Imagine instead there was a way to crank the thermostat up to 80. I'd be a little hotter in our house, that's for sure, but our electric bill would be nice because the thermostat wouldn't kick on nearly as much. The fight-or-flight response in your body works very similar to a thermostat. If you're setting... For a fight or flight episode is extremely low, then every time something stressful happens to you, it's like a life or death struggle. It's a really painful thing because it takes away a lot of the body's resources. And if you're really interested in hearing more about how cortisol affects the body, you should check out Overcoming Obesity Part 3, where we talk about taming the stress monster. Exercise is the body's way of turning up the thermostat of stress so that you can deal with more and more and more stress without it stressing you out. With a higher thermostat setting, it's really, really hard to kick on that fight-or-flight response. And so in that way, you're much more resilient to stress than somebody who doesn't exercise regularly. Another thing that exercise does for stress is it burns through neuron-shrinking cortisol that has been released to help your brain stay fueled through the stress of your day. I train a lot of type A people in my line of work, business owners, high stress managers, efficient household runners, and many of them tell me regularly that if they don't work out, they get crazy, meaning that the people in their life notice that they're irritable or that they're uptight or that they're overly stressed out, and they feel as if exercise is an outlet to help them burn off that extra stress they have to deal with. And that's not very far from the truth. Unless you're exercising for excessively long periods of time, like two or three hours, you actually achieve a small cortisol dip after the workout. And the increased blood flow to the brain actually pulls out several of the anxiety-causing neurotransmitters and the oxidative-free radicals that have been collecting in your mind. One researcher even commented on how it's like defragmenting the mind that process that you put your computer through, to clean up the disk space on the computer so that the process runs more efficiently and smoothly. Now, I'm not a computer programmer by any means, but I know exactly what my type A people are talking about. When I don't get to work out like I regularly do, then I'm a much more stressed out version of myself, and I can literally feel the stress burning away in the gym. In fact, I've often told people in my life that I burn way more stress than calories at the gym. Though I'm not really sure how you quantify stress, that's how I feel about it. In fact, I'd love to hear if you feel similarly. If you use exercise to burn away that stressful feeling in your life and you see a lot of good results with that, let me know in the Facebook comments of this particular podcast post. I know for myself and many of my clients that's true, but I want to hear from you. Do you use exercise to help you with your stress? The last major change that exercise helps you achieve with regard to stress outside of the amygdala and the hippocampus is that the immediate effect of exercise is to bolster the hormonal response that helps you recover from stress. In a recent study, they did 30 minutes of weight training and then they had the athletes sit in a quiet room for five minutes. And they measured their testosterone and growth hormone levels both before and after the exercise and meditation bout. Then they did the same study with cardiovascular exercise, 30 minutes of cardiovascular exercise, and then quiet meditation thereafter. What they found is that both forms of exercise increase the growth hormone in the athlete's bloodstream. Growth hormone is something you can think of as the fountain of youth. It bolsters new cellular growth and the repair of tissues. Your kids are full of growth hormone. You, not so much. Watch how fast they heal from falling on the ground and skinning their knees versus how fast you heal from falling on the ground and skinning your knees, and you'll see what I'm talking about. In fact, young children have anywhere between 100 and 200 times as much growth hormone as you do floating around in their system right now. But researchers found that cardiovascular exercise and resistance exercise both increase growth hormone in athletic subjects though they found that certain types of resistance training increase growth hormone over cardiovascular and other types of resistance training, the core takeaway is this. If you want to recover well from stress, then you need to exercise regularly because of the increased effect of growth hormone in the body thereafter. So whether it's due to conditioning your amygdala and your hippocampus, buffering your mind against unnecessary fight-or-flight responses, burning through some excessive anxiety neurotransmitters and cortisol, or increasing growth hormone in your body and bettering your recovery to stress, it's easy to see why exercise could be considered the good stress. And no matter what you have going on in your hectic life, you can't afford not to exercise in order to get these amazing benefits to make you more resilient to stress and make you better at recovering from it. This has been Alex Van Houten with Defining Dad Bod. Until next time, guys, kick butt, take names. Free, practical advice, and conversations here remain unbought and unbiased thanks to the support of Better Daily. If this episode has been helpful to you, share it with someone in your life who you know it will benefit. Then, subscribe to the podcast and leave us a raving review to tell others what value Defining DadBot has brought to your health and fitness journey. Finally, if you're struggling for betterment, don't do it alone. We all have a cross to carry, and it's lighter when we do it together. Go to definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily to get supported, challenged, and inspired to take yourself to the next level. Who knows who we could be if we could become 1% better every single day? Go to definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily today. That's definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily.